0: Hello darkness, my old friend, I've come to talk with you again, because a vision softly creeping, left its seeds while I was sleeping,
1: and the vision... Welcome in, BYU Hype Train Podcast, Episode 7, recapping the BYU-Boise State loss, unfortunately it was a heartbreaker. Over the weekend on Saturday, we're not recording a day late because we were too scared to record. We were recording a day late due to some technical technical difficulties a night ago. Uh, I'm Hunter Miller. I'm the acting conductor of the BYU hype train today. Joe Wheat is away, he just returned from his uh, wonderful fishing trip to Montana, and now is having to spend some quality time with the Miss Lady friend. So he is John gone. Joe,
0: unfortunately, is, no is not part of the hype train anymore.
1: Yeah, I
0: mean, mean, shout
1: out to the people who are listening to this episode, right? Because if you're listening to this episode, then you really are on the hype train. And apparently Joe's not on the hype train anymore. Not only (laughs) is he not listening, he's not even on it. But uh, so Joe's out today. We have Trevor, of course, the co-conductor of the BYU hype train, and Jason, the other co-conductor of the BYU hype train. We're going to break down the BYU Boise State game. We're going to have a lot of questions to address, a lot of concerns to address. I'm going to put uh, BYU fanhood to the test with my concerns that I'm going to bring up today. I teased it on Twitter on, what was it, Saturday? I think it was immediately after the game. Uh, But we'll get to all that good stuff. First of all, start off with some lighthearted stuff. Are either of you gentlemen hockey fans? And are you celebrating first night of NHL season tonight?
2: I want to enjoy hockey. I I really do. If it, it's I have the hardest time locating the puck, and that's what makes it hard for me. <laughs> is it's like, like if it wasn't for that little red light above the goal, you know, and the siren, the I, I the loud know. train horns that
1: blare every time <laughs> a goal is scored. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good indicator that something good has
0: happened. I'm good for about one game a year. Come Stanley Cup time, that's about it.
1: I'm watching. So I was watching hockey. Previous to starting recording this, Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay, I very much so would like to be a hockey fan, but for whatever reason, I start like pre. I watched the pregame show even on ESPN. Like I was hyped; they were showing like highlights and hype videos, and like I was all about it. And then the game started, and immediately I was kind of like, eh, I don't know, I don't know <laughs> if I'm feeling this. So if you're a hockey fan out there, like an actual religiously watches hockey during the season. Like I'll casually watch the Boston Bruins, but uh, I would very much so like to get into hockey. So if you're a listener, if you're on this hype train and you're also on the hockey hype train, reach out to me on Twitter because I would love to learn like how, what I need to do to make hockey enjoyable.
0: Yeah, Cause it looks like everyone's explain having a me. What is icing? It's I think
1: it's like soccer offsides, but it's like not offsides. Like it's if you hit the puck from one end of the rink and it goes to the other end of the rink and it crosses a certain line, I
2: think. Yeah, like I think you, I think you're right. Like right, that's well.
1: that's my best explanation for it. Like <laughs> if you hit it, if you hit the puck too far, essentially, <laughs> and in the wrong areas. But uh, like I said, reach out to me because I want to know what I need to do to make this more interesting. Because I turned it off and switched to the baseball game instead. Uh, shout out to Jeff Hansen and his Braves. <laughs> I
2: will I will say, I will religiously watch Olympic hockey. If it's if you slap Team USA on it, I'll watch it.
1: I've watched part of the movie Miracle. Does that, <laughs> does that count as Olympic hockey? It's exactly
2: <laughs> that's exactly what it is.
1: That's all I need to know, right? About Olympic hockey is yeah. what's in that movie.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's it.
1: Trevor, we're recording during the Giants game. Are you do you have it on a
2: second monitor? I have the play-by-play pulled up.
1: Okay, give us a give us a good play-by-play. I'm kind of sort of glad we didn't uh, record last night, like we were <laughs> planning, because it was right as the bottom of the ninth was happening for the Red Sox. Was normally when we is our scheduled time to record, and uh, it, essentially the first half of the podcast would have turned into like my live reactions. Like Trevor <laughs> would have been talking about something, and then I would just start yelling and hopefully not <laughs> saying any bad words, but. uh
0: it was all uh, good words last night, though, right? It was
1: all good words. Well, it was all good words in the bottom of the ninth. In the seventh and eighth innings, it was bad words. <laughs> but uh, if you hear Trevor yelling and stuff, that's just the San Francisco
2: Giants hitting a home run. So don't worry about it. <laughs> right now, I'm just holding my breath that the Dodgers don't knock anyone in with the bases loaded and two outs in the third. Is it still one nothing? No, it's 2-0 at this point. Yeah. Uh,
1: it's all right. You can clinch in San Francisco. True. Uh, but let's not delay any longer. <laughs> Gentlemen, we lost. There's, no, there's noth- nothing else you can say. We, no. BYU lost. No two ways about it. For, for the, first the, time podcast here. <laughs> in the first time in podcast history, BYU has lost. And I'm not going to say that it was because Joe's audio crapped out mid-preview episode. And I'm not going to say it was because Joe went to Montana rather than coming to B- the BYU game. But it's a weird coincidence.
0: <laughs> it's, we're uh... just going to put
1: Joe on blast this whole <laughs> podcast. So. I mean, he's not here to defend himself. So I kind of <laughs> have to, right? Yeah. Make Joe the scapegoat. But, um, I mean, Trevor, your thoughts. What? What? You were at the game. Obviously, your reaction, kind of how you were feeling throughout, and then we'll we'll go to Jason as someone who was watching it from home on TV. What he saw?
2: Yeah, um, I mean, I wish I wish the temperature outside matched how cold I felt on the inside when that final second leapt off the clock and and we lost. But I think being there as a fan, um, the game started off really well. I mean, we moved the ball jumped out to a 10-0 lead and I don't I, and we can discuss this uh in greater detail um but i just feel like we we get something that works and then we just move away from it and i understand that you don't want to become predictable but i'm kind of one of the of the opinion that you go to the well until there's an it doesn't work anymore until you're not bringing up water or in this case, you're not moving the ball and you're not scoring points. And so for me, I felt like, like really all season, but, but this game, you know, it gets, you know, exaggerated even more because we lost. Like, I just feel like we have things that work and then we move away from it and then things don't work. And then we go back to that thing and it works again and I just I want some more consistency from this offense. I think the offense had uh, a lot to do and how the this final score ended. Obviously, we could talk about the turnovers as well. but yeah, the, the offensive inconsistencies, you know, both on on the coaching staff and, and with the players just seemed a little a little strange to me.
1: What do you attribute that to? I mean, obviously, there's been some people criticizing Aaron Roderick and his play calling. And, you know, I will say that the goal to go play calling for BYU has been head scratching, to say the least. Uh, and for multiple weeks, you know, for multiple weeks. And we'll I'll, we'll talk about that because that's kind of one of my thoughts I wanted to talk to touch on. But uh, is it a wealth of weapons, right? I mean, we talked about this BYU offense coming into the season and everyone they've got, you know, at running back, obviously with Tyler Algier and Lupini Katoa. You have all these wide receivers, the most stacked wide receiver room, you know, possibly in BYU history in terms of depth. You got these two tight ends and Isaac Rex and Dallin Holker. Like, is it just the fact that they they don't want to go to that same well Play after play, when you know they feel like you know we've gone to Puka or Samson a couple times here. Let's find me. There, Neil out, there on the is only
0: one well in the red zone. His name is Tyler Algier. <laughs> give him the ball and let him run it in. Like That's there's not even a no well. Other. It's, it's like, like a reservoir. You're drawing from. Like, you're not drawing from a well. Like just give him the dang ball. <laughs> I when I, I they do give him
1: the ball, it's like in weird. Like the play calls are yeah, just, weird, like it's fly sweet under
0: center so. power eye, boom, just give them the ball, let the offensive line do their
2: work. I, I am gonna say, Jason, the power eye, I because I'm with you. Uh, I think Hunter he posted a picture of eye formation on Twitter, which I thought was presented hilarious.
1: without content, yes.
2: <laughs> um, but I wonder how big of a hole. Um, our friend Mason Wake has left in, in the goal line formation with him being out because we saw the I formation against USF and it worked. And we and we saw it in previous games before that, and it worked. And now and now he's out. And like Hunter pointed out, like um Jaron's in shotgun and he's handing the ball off to Tyler Algier. So not only does he not have a lead blocker, but he's also you know an extra four or five yards further away from the from the end zone um and we're not we're not running a power eye and so i there is a part of me that wonders with mason wake gone if we just don't have somebody that can that can lead the way but that even saying that sounds weird because i feel like, like isaac somebody right or hold or like, back there yeah the, like somebody should be able to to give a block, I mean, heck, like, with their attitudes, put Puka or Sampson back there. Like, one of them will go make a play. Like, I just we thought saw Puka's
1: block against Utah State. That's what
2: I'm saying, man. Like, like, just put him through the hole. Like, I, I just, I just don't understand. Um, or, maybe, or maybe we do understand. Maybe it really is just, you know, Mason being gone. But yeah. I, I would I, like to see more power football myself.
1: I mean, I love me some Mason Wake. I think he's left a bigger hole in my heart by being out than he's left in the power. eye. because like you said, Trevor, I think, you know, there are a multitude of players that BYU can put in there. Cause all you got to do is run forward and just kind of create some momentum uh, for Tyler Algiers. going to come behind you. I mean, we've seen, you know, Kyrus Tonga line up as the fullback in packages with Dime Gunwaluku in the past and you know, Austin Kofensis, and we've yeah. seen, you know, not necessarily trained fullbacks line up at fullback in the Power Eye in the past. So I don't know why, you know, you wouldn't go to one of these other guys. Heck, bring in, you know, Uriah Leotoa or Lorenzo Fauotea, you know, Achunai Samahe. Like, there are a ton of just you have options. Big, defensive linemen who you could put in. I don't understand, you know, if it is the the fact that they're missing Mason Wake, I don't feel like that should deter you. From being able to run some sort of power eye formation in goal to go situations. Because it cost BYU points when they I got down there and it was first and goal at the two-yard line, and they couldn't cut then they couldn't get points.
2: So I guess um in that case, and I've been thinking about how I've been wanting to word all of this because we've had players on the podcast. Um obviously this has been a pretty positive show. It helps when you start off five and zero, obviously, but um <laughs> you know, I want players to be able to come on here and feel like they're safe here and like the the coaches are safe here. Um, I just, you know, you were asking earlier, where is the problem stemming from? Like, clearly, as you mentioned, it's not personnel. Like, if we just didn't have guys, then you could be like, okay, yeah, Mason wakes out like he's the only guy that could send a lead block. So like, if it's not personnel, it has to fall on the on the coaching. And so I guess I would just be interested in kind of getting into Roderick's head and kind of see what he's seen and be able to understand what he's thinking. Because as a fan currently, I, I don't, I don't understand what I'm seeing. Um, And obviously we haven't been able to see the results that we would like, which is points in the red zone. And so well, what's know. crazy
0: is our red zone offense is actually super good. Like, we're still probably, like, top – I'm not 100% sure, but I guess that we're top 30 in the country in red zone scoring. Yeah, I just I, – I don't know. I feel like it could – I
2: mean – The thing
1: is, is, like, it's not even, like, they're scoring after, like, right? We saw against USF, like, they were able to punch it in, like, every time. But – it was like a couple of times that they got to fourth and goal before they finally just gave it to Algier and up the middle. It's like they get into a goal to goal situation and then, you know, the first three plays it's, well, let's just kind of test these out and see how they do. And then if they don't work, we'll give it to Tyler on fourth. (laughs) Right. And that's what's so, I think so infuriating is you see that it works with Tyler Algier and you know, fans are thinking, why not just, you know, get to first and goal and just do that three times, three or four times. Because yeah. there's no way that they would, you know, with as good as Tyler Algier is, there's no way that any defense should be able to stop Tyler Algier in a one-yard-to-go situation
0: on four consecutive plays. I agree. I feel like Roderick said after that USF game, like, look, we should have ran the ball. But, like, well, he, he didn't – it hasn't changed. I think that that's my biggest issue is Roderick, after the USF game, said, like, we got too fancy, we passed the ball too much, we should have ran it. And then we go and see it again because I think it was two straight pass plays, right? And then Algier ran on third down, and then yeah, but it was like a fly, yeah, it was was... like an outside the tackles
1: kind of run. And then fourth down play call was like a read option to Jaron. Yep, like why are you like Jaron needs to be under center? And I get it if you're like, don't like you, heck, put Jaron under center and just a QB sneak, right? Like he should be able to get a yard too. And I get it if you don't want to subject him to that because of his rib injury or whatever it is, right? Because that's a lot of bodies piling up on the goal line when you run those kind of plays.
0: But man, like there is there are just so many plays if and he again, can't do I, that I, I, though, I, like like, like I wouldn't sh- Madden. Yeah. But I also like, think like if he can't do that, he shouldn't be in the game. Like a one yard like for the game, if if you can't handle that like with Jaron, then he shouldn't be playing. And I think that, that he could have, right? And that was one of the
1: other things I noticed was I don't know if I recall any design quarterback run. There weren't any. We saw them multiple times against Arizona. We saw them multiple times against Utah. You know, we've seen them against and and them work, right? We saw a bunch go for big yardage in that Arizona game and then in that Utah game. And we saw Jaron pick up that key first down in the Arizona State game, the one that I think when we look back at replay is probably the one that he got hurt on, right? But he picked up that first down, got chunk yardage. Like they work when they do them, and BYU just wasn't calling them this last game. And I think to Jason's point, if you are not calling that because Jaron was injured and you're going to eliminate a facet of your offense due to injury, I don't know if necessarily that's the guy that should be out there. And then I know, you know, probably Jaron, they felt Jaron gave him the best chance to win, all that, you know, because Baylor was still going to be out with a concussion. I don't know if you want to turn the reins over to Jacob Cotton over quite yet, but. <laughs> just, you know we were told that he's working back he's good to go he's going to play well clearly I don't, he wasn't I don't even know if he was over 80 percent because if you're 80 percent or above you're probably still going to call at least a couple of designed quarterback runs
2: yeah just just looking at well and on top of that I mean aside from the you know the play calling itself which you know is you know obviously primarily with the coaches like he had a couple of times to be able to run in that game himself and didn't. And yep. I, I can attest like as a co- collegiate athlete, like when you get, or really any athlete, this isn't, you know, this isn't just subject to just college athletes. Me, but,
0: I was a collegiate athlete. Listen <laughs> to me. <I'm> Trevor. <laughs>
2: no, but as,
1: but when you're the only one on the podcast, who's played <laughs> athletics at a collegiate level,
2: when, when you like, when you get an injury, Um, and it knocks you out of a sport that you care about for a really long time. Um, it's not so much the danger of like, you're going to rehab and you're going to have trainers that specialize in everything that you're doing. And, but the, the most damage in my opinion takes place mentally. Um, you know, Jaron had to sit out for two games. Uh, that's a lot of time sitting there watching your brothers play. And so for him, you know, the last thing he wants to do is take off and run. And all of a sudden he has to sit out another three weeks. Um, there's a part of that too, that maybe he didn't want to put the offense in a situation where they had to throw Conover in. I don't know. I can't speak for Jaron. Um, but I, I, I guess I can't fault him entirely having been through it myself if he was a little worried that, you know, one unfortunate hit while he's sliding or whatever it is, you know, knocks him out a couple more weeks. Um, but yeah, at the s- I, I ahead, get Otter. that
1: if it's, you know, taking off on a pass play. But to have no called design runs, I mean, that would imply that Jaron told the coaches, hey, I don't want to run. And that's fair. And, and I'm they- not sure Jaron would do that. Right, like I, I get, I probably agree. With, I agree with your point. Like in a sense that, you know, if he's dropping back to pass and pressure comes, they'll probably be more eager to throw it away than he would be to take off and run. But like no designed quarterback runs. Yeah. The, the I, other I,
0: thing is ribs. That just tells himself, me that the coaches like, think that hey, he wasn't ready. Yeah, bruised ribs. Like they don't heal in two weeks. They heal in like months right i think that that's the other thing is like for all we know just him throwing the ball is excruciatingly painful yeah um especially like if he broke them like the fact that he's out there is amazing and i think that it will be interesting i mean I, I say let's just jump into this like clearly like a 85 percent, 80 percent jaron hall is probably going to be better than conover um and jaron played well right but the real question is like if Baylor's 100% and Jaren's 80%, you know, who would you rather take? That's See that's tough as I th- I think just due to experience wise you take Jaren. Just because, you know, you But does Jaren have more experience than than Baylor? The answer is no.
1: So you're asking Jaren versus Baylor. Yeah, Baylor. Bay- well, 100% Baylor, 80% Jaren. Well, I have a – you want to jump right into this now? Let's just jump into it. My question to you was – so I guess this is kind of along the same lines, but if you eliminate the Jaren's ability to run – so not even just like a percentage-wise. If you just say yeah. Jaren, Jaren's not going to run this game, we're not going to call any design quarterback runs. Uh, and, you know, health-wise, throw health to the wind, right? Like. We're not talking about percentage. We're just gonna say we're going into this game, no design quarterback runs. Do you want Baylor or do you want Jaron? So from a purely pocket passing standpoint.
0: This hurts, but I think I'm taking Baylor. But like not by much. I think that I think that (laughs) I wanna add a caveat. I wanna add a caveat. I think that a lot of people are thinking that Jaron is not a good pocket passer. I think if you look at last game, it shows that he is a pretty dang good pocket passer. Like, his percentages were pretty good. He threw for, did he throw over 300 yards? Yeah, 307. And then, I mean, that's pretty good. You can't complain about Jaron throwing from the pocket. If anything, they, you know, should maybe throw it a, a deep a few more times because he was connecting on some of those deep balls more than he was in the earlier games. Trevor, okay, there's this money. In the deep <laughs> you trying to disagree?
1: This is no. the part where Joe is like rolling his eyes so hard. Like based off the yeah. earlier texts in our
0: group message, like he's kicking us all off. He's just gonna start <laughs> his own podcast with just Joe talking
2: to the screen. No, <laughs> I, I, I do. I do want to play devil's advocate advocate here because, like, I get the point that both of you are making. I just I look at who Jaron played. And I look at who Baylor played and frankly, I think if Jaron's healthy for the USF and the Utah state game, I think he does everything that Baylor did. And case in point, like he plays against a mountain West conference team in Boise and he throws for 300 and I said, seven earlier, it's 302 yards. That's him. And had I mean, he had one interception, but it was like at the point of the game where he just had to give his guy a chance. And unfortunately, there was somebody there to pick it off. But like, it's, I, I just, I look at Jaron and I just have a hard time believing that Fessy Satake and Aaron Roderick and the entire team looked at Jaron and was like, the only reason you are the quarterback is because you can run. Like that just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and, and again, like Baylor is Baylor's good. Um, ironically the, the 80%, 100% thing for me, I would actually lean more towards Baylor because I just think, you know, a, a, a hurt quarterback is never going to be as good as a fully healthy one if they're close, but I have a hard time sitting here and saying, you know, just because Jaron can't run doesn't mean, he isn't doesn't mean he's not better than, than Baylor is.
1: So here's here's some numbers for you. These are just the objective stats. So Jaron Hall and I'm just comparing these 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 two seasons. So Jaron Hall's seventy three for one hundred and twenty two, so good for about sixty percent, just a hair under at fifty nine point eight percent completion percentage. Eight hundred and sixty three yards, eight touchdowns, three interceptions, with a QBR of one hundred thirty six. Baylor Romney. Is twenty is thirty six for forty five, so good for eighty percent completion percentage, four hundred and ninety five yards, five touchdowns, no picks, and a QBR of two hundred and nine. Jaron, so we'll break that down further. Jaron yards per attempt is seven point zero seven. Baylor yards per attempt is eleven. Adjusted yards per attempt, so factoring in throws of over twenty yards, all that good stuff. Jaron's goes up a tiny bit to seven point three, while Baylor's actually jumps up a ton. Uh, to 13.2 then you talk about their touchdown percentage so what percentage of throws they're throwing touchdowns on Jaron's touchdown percentage is 6.5 percent Baylor's touchdown percentage is 11.1 percent Jaron's total offense on the season so t- taking into account the run game everything like that how Tyler Algier supported them you know Jaron obviously is going to be able to run for more yards than Baylor has uh, so total offense Jaron has 1,515 yards over four games. Baylor has 774 yards over one and a half games. So un- about half amount- the amount of yards um, with less than half of the amount of games. Jaron Hall yards per play. So again, taking into account the run game, uh, Jaron's yard per play is 5.6. Baylor's yards per play is nine yards per play. Jaron's opponent record. So again, what you were talking about, Trevor. Jaron's opponent record is 11 and 11, so 500 record. Baylor's opponent record is 4 and 6, so just a little bit under 500. So does that change any of that change your mind?
0: No. Here's the thing. I think that you have like let's put some respect on like the Utah defense and the Arizona State defense. Like, those are two of the like the best defenses in the Pac-12. Like I wouldn't I actually think Utah probably has the best defense in the Pac 12. If you've looked at them, the Pac 12 is garbage. I think Utah, you know, Utah's playing well now to play well against USC. I mean I watched Arizona State play UCLA and their defense was was pretty dang good. And Jaron beat those teams like like and- I don't I don't know if uh, like Baylor coming in beats those teams per se. And I think it's just – there's something about Jaron. Like, there is something about Baylor, but there's something about Jaron that's, like, you have confidence, especially, like, if he's involved in the run game, that, like, we're going to win this game. Like, he's going to pull it out. I feel like there was some hesitancy in the Boise State game that we saw that he didn't quite unleash everything that he had. But Baylor's deep ball is just on real perfect. So all these to me is like inflated because Baylor just throws the deep ball insanely well and against poor poor defenses, um, as well is kind of mine. But I I see where you're coming from. I think that like it's one A, one B. Like that's honestly, like, it's almost like they're on par, like even. Um, but Jaron's running ability just gives him just a knack, just a little bit more edge than uh. Baylor's a little bit extra precision passing.
1: Yeah. To Trevor's point, the two worst defenses BYU has played this season are USF and Utah State in terms of opponent yards per game.
2: And they're like, they're like in the bottom. Like, forget their conferences. Like they're sub 100. Like, they're like in the bottom of, of everybody. So, <laughs> I, I, and I guess my other thought too is if, if BYU wins this game, we're not talking about this can we Bingo. can we can we agree on that like like the only reason this is a discussion for all the kids on Instagram and everything talk about bringing in Baylor is because we lost and and so I do like I think you know if it was like the <laughs> second or the third or whatever like maybe we discuss it but it's it's one loss and an otherwise like incredible and jaren wasn't discussion. the issue. Right? That's what I'm saying.
0: Thank you. Darren was not the issue why we lost on Saturday.
1: So that leads us to the next point. What do you think the issues were? You're if you're going to let's play the blame game here. Who takes and I don't you don't need to necessarily like call out people by name. Turnovers.
0: Turnovers. Like, if you look at Arizona State, that Utah game, we run the turnover margin substantially. This one we lose, you know, it's basically like 6-0 to zero if you include turnover on downs. And uh, that just sunk us. I mean, that's the same recipe that we beat Boise State in the past, was we turned them over way
2: more, and we just struggled with that. I mean, that's how we beat Arizona State. Uh, I, I think think we had a plus four turnover advantage in that game, or at least plus plus two. I think maybe, but yeah, it's the the defense, you know, attempts to to cough the ball up, but unfortunately, the offense did it instead this time. Um, and the and the thing is too is like a turnover is a turnover, but some of those turnovers were just momentum killers. The, the worst time, like back to back fumbles was a. Uh... Not ideal. It's it's never I, I mean, I mean let, yes. Let's be but honest I think
0: Katoa's like, in the red zone as well, was just as bad. Like we're driving, like the game was turning, and then
2: Katoa just coughs it up as well. That one might have been bigger than the two in the first half. Oh, and I just I keep thinking because like from where I'm sitting in the stadium, he's he's running towards us. Oh, you, oh. and and the ball comes out and just my heart sank for could for for Peene because he's he's been the reason we've been in so many games in the past. And and just to see to see that ball on the on the turf was just terrible. But but again, like, you know, there's never an opportune time to turn over the ball. I can mean he, maybe can side note right here about like how how does Lupini
0: always get nailed straight on by a defender? And I swear the defender's helmet goes right on the ball every time he gets tackled. <laughs> Does anybody else see that?
1: I, I need to look at the replay. I haven't yet gone back because I was at the, was, I'm not sure if Jason as someone who watched on TV, if they showed this replay, but in the game, it seemed like had he just cut right. Definitely. There was all
0: the space. He the was board. done,
1: but he, he kind of tried to like shift him a little bit. Whereas if he were to just, you know, to make a sharp, right, you know, Northeast, he would yeah. have maybe had a touchdown.
0: I agree, but I think you. we should, like, next time you guys are watching Lupini Katoa, every time he gets tackled, he, like, gets tackled head on. The face, like, the guy's helmet goes right on him, and he kind of flips right over the defender. It happens every time. I don't know how or why, but <laughs> it finally caught world. up to us, and I'm, like, always worried that the ball's going to pop out, and then it did. And Anyways, so, sorry for that little side note, but you guys are going to notice it now.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, It's an interesting, if, if that sounds like the Tyler Algier leg flip out for me um, yeah. <laughs> when he runs. But but yeah, it's, that was, that was tough. And, you know, I hope as BYU fans um, as tough as that is, and as inopportune as those fumbles were from Katoa, I hope we can take a step back and just realize that these are kids playing football. Like no one feels worse about those turnovers than Peeney. Like, No way does anybody else feel worse. And so, um, you know, for as many games as he's won us and for as many carries as he had, I think Roderick said he's carried the ball like 334 times and only has two fumbles to his name. I mean, he's been about as good as you can ask for. Unfortunately, it all just kind of caught up to him in one game.
1: It's just too bad those two fumbles came in the same game. Yep. At two, probably the most costly... Times that possible,
0: yes. Other side note is we should just fair catch the ball on kickoffs every single <laughs> time. The analytics behind it are clear. You will always get more. You'll ninety nine percent of the time get more yards by going to the twenty five fair catch than trying to run it out of the end zone.
1: How is that not a coaching point?
0: I don't know. Like maybe they don't use analytics.
1: Like Ed Lamb, special teams coordinator, just to, fair catch. Just I don't care if they're catching on the five. Still you fair catches. Yeah, you can call a fair catch, touchback, whatever it is. You know, like and that's and that's the thing. I mean, how much of the blame the you know, Ben Crittle always calls it the pie chart of accountability? We'll call it the blame game. Uh how much of the blame do you put on the coaching in this game? We talked about you know the offensive coaching was weird. Uh, and the offensive play calling rather, but you know, I mean there's a few instances I think where we all collectively as a BYU fan base were left scratching our heads. So so what percentage, you know, you both, I think, pointed to the turnovers as the number one factor. And I think, you know, that's something that you can't argue against. Those were the difference in this game. Six total turnovers when you factor in the interception, the two four failed fourth down conversions and the three fumbles, six total turnovers. But uh, how much of the weight do you think the coaches carry in this loss?
2: J- Jason, Ebert. Whoever wants to go Whoever wants to I'm catch
0: thinking, them, I'm they're thinking they're maybe out. about 40%. I think 60 is kind of a result like of the actual turnovers on the field and then we will get 40% to the coaches on bad play calling and some questionable decision making and our defense potentially
2: TBD <laughs> to be discussed uh but,
0: but yeah, 40%
2: I'm going to say 45, 55 um, for kind of leaning towards Jason's percentage as well. The turnovers, you're just not going to win very many games with that many turnovers. Um, but the but the thing is, is that, you know, the, the turnovers obviously were very costly. They led to, to two touchdowns um, when the defense, every other drive outside of those two touchdowns resulted in four field goals. Um, the thing for me is, is, was that game was still very much winnable. Um, we had several, we had several shots at the end zone. Even after that, it just kind of felt like, like Boise didn't even want to win. Like they were like, no, please take it. And we just, we just didn't do anything with it. And I think that's where the coaching, you know, you have to be able to put the players in a position where they can have success and, from my perspective in the stands, it just felt like we were getting too fancy. I mean, we've, we've discussed this a ton, the, the goal line, the goal to goal, um, offense has been so weird. We're sending Algier East and East and West, uh, when he's proven to be a great North and South runner, um, the multiple, you know, passing attempts, in weird situations. Uh, And I think a lot of that, I mean, I think a lot of that falls on coaching. I'm going to go.
1: There's a couple of numbers in my head. I need to decide somewhere between 60 and 70%. And here, and the weather is probably the other 30%. And here's why (laughs) I mentioned six turnovers, three of them easily are avoidable, right? I mean, the fumble on the, kick return is avoidable if you coach your guys to, you know, take the touchback or fair catch and just get the ball at the 20, 25 yard line. Right. Like that's avoidable. If yes. you can just tell your returners, Hey, just take the touchback that you, you, and you don't put yourself at risk to fumbling. I know Lapino was probably going to try to make a big return, get some momentum back, what have you. But you know, when your offense is able to move the ball, like BOA's offense has been able to move the ball the last few games, just take the touchback. Take take the fair catch. Don't put yourself at risk like that, especially when the ball is already proven to be wet. And you know, fumbles are are a high risk, right? Like that's an avoidable turnover right there. The other two avoidable turnovers. Don't go for it on your side of the fifty with a minute and a half, a minute left in the half, on fourth and seven or whatever it was, fourth and eight, right? You got the best punter and your b- punter in the country probably. You know, we talked about it last podcast. One of the best players on your team is your punter. Utilize him as a weapon and pin Boise State deep. Force them to just run out the clock at half. Don't turn the ball over there on downs. And then thirdly, when you get into a first and goal at the two-yard line, just punch it in with Tyler Algier. Don't try to get cute. Don't try to do these weird read options and fly sweeps and all that stuff. Just punch it in, and you won't have to go for it on fourth and goal from the five-yard line. Right. Like those are three avoidable turnovers that could have, prof, you know, possibly, you know, some of them may have helped you get points. Certainly the going for it on fourth and eight from your side of the 50 at, with a minute left before the half saves you points because Boise state doesn't go on to score there m- most likely. So I think right there, just those three decisions um, and those three coaching points are, lead to three less turnovers. And then secondly, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like every concern or every issue that we've kind of had with BYU over the last few games continued in this Boise State game, right? We talk about a lack of a pass rush. We talk about not being able to get off the field on third and fourth downs. We talk about, you know, not being the weird play calling. We already discussed that. Like, these are the same issues, missed tackles. Uh, all that stuff, like we talked about on podcast after podcast, and BYU fans have been talking about for a long time on Twitter and Cougar Board, and those continue to be an issue against Boise State. So I don't know if it was just, you know, we're trying to coach them up and we can't, you know, we're, whatever we do, what you know, scheme-wise or in practice, we just can't generate a pass rush. I don't know if it's if it's something like that, or I don't know if it was, well, we've been playing like that and we've beaten Utah State and USF. F with those same issues, we should be able to beat Boise State with those issues as well. Which, again, I think that you was know, probably not the right mindset to have. If you're going into the game thinking, well, it's okay, we won't be able to generate a pass rush, but we should be able to beat Boise State anyway, like that's an issue to me. And so I think, you know, just the fact yeah, that, that here we are, I mean, there was another substitution error on one of Boise Stage drives that I think resulted in a field goal in which BYU had to take a timeout because guys didn't know where they were supposed to line up or who didn't they didn't know who was supposed to be on the field. Like I don't know how we're in game six at home as a top ten team in the country and we weren't able to get our substitutions right there. And I get it, like mental mistakes happen. Everyone's gonna have mental lapses during the game. That's gonna be that's gonna be a problem every once in a while. But the fact that it's a problem every week, I mean, come on.
2: Yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting dilemma because you're right. Like there are some things that haven't changed and I just to to slide one devil's advocate thing in there, like, you know, when you're prepping, you're prepping for a new team each week and the new things that you're bringing in to prepare for that specific team, um, for the, you know, X amount of days that you have, before you're traveling or whatever it is like it makes it hard like once you get full bore into the season like how do you fix missed tackles right like yeah I feel, like you should be able to fix the su- the substitutions like absolutely yeah. but some of these things are like pre- pre-season things which is which is also a concern obviously because it's like why was, why weren't these things addressed in in preseason? I mean,
1: Uh, granted, we're not a Navy level of bad at tackling,
0: but at least
2: tackling at practice. (laughs) No, no one is, but um, I think a big, and we'll talk about Baylor obviously in our next podcast, but this for me, um, this next week is a big time for these coaches to answer a lot of questions because Baylor has one of the best offensive line uh, in the country. Thanks to old Eric Mateos and Jeff Grimes. Um, And so if you are watching these games as coaches and you see that these three down linemen are not getting a pass rush, I can promise you because it, and, and I'm not saying it's because, Mahe or Batty or any of these guys are not talented, but those guys will not Five be able to get home.
1: Tough.
2: Yeah. They will not Wait. be able to get home against, against Baylor. So we, I need to, I I'm with you, Hunter. There are some adjustments I need to see some of which I don't know how you address them mid season.
1: Like they don't, you don't have a uh, Kairos Tonga on this defensive line. I get it. Right. Who's making plays for the Chicago bears. Now you don't even have a Jan Jorgensen on this defensive line. Probably. Like, you have guys that potentially by the end of their career may be at that level, but you don't have any guys like that, right? Like, I get that personnel wise, you're probably not going to be able to just do a four man rush against a decent or better offensive line and be able to get home consistently. Like, that's the reality of the fact. But my goodness, would it kill us to call a corner blitz or bring Peyton Wilgar off the edge or do something yeah. like scheme well, it up?
0: I just don't understand, like, that Boise game. Man, their old line was. They could not figure out where the pressure was coming from to save their lives, man. Like, Tonovasa came off the edge. There was a four-down lineman. He came unblocked off of the edge and just hit Bachmeyer. Like, there was a four-man rush. There was four people in front of five linemen, and they didn't pick him up. And then we brought pressure later in the game with Bywater. And, like, every time we brought pressure, Bachmeyer freaking threw the ball away, made his dumb mistake got like either got sacked like we got home on every single time we brought pressure because their o-line is so incompetent and that's what made me so mad was that that like that tuyaki didn't see that and then take advantage of that more and if you go back to the other games against boise the same exact thing is people brought pressure and the offense of boise just fell apart and i think that that's the hardest thing for me is like when we brought pressure, it was super effective. And there wasn't one time that we got burned bringing the blitz. And so I think that that's like, I think that the Arizona State game, the Utah game, we brought pressure a lot more of those games than we had seen. And everyone's like, wow, this defense has turned around. Like something has changed. Why? Because we started bringing pressure and that was a whole different defense than we have seen in the past however many years we've been watching Tuyaki coach and rush three drop eight yeah and i think that we need to see more of that going forward and go back to those games that we had success see that we had success i don't even care who's on the back end like trust the dbs i don't even care if it's you know jacob robinson like he's played well like if you're watching caleb hayes that dude is a lockdown corner he's so good and like So if we don't bring more pressure, like we are going to get eaten alive the rest of the season.
2: I got to ask, are are our coaches worried that they're going – like, so obviously, like you said, the defense looked amazing in the the first couple of games. We were sending pressure, and then, you know, Tyler Algier on the offense is doing work on the goal line. I just – there's a part of me and maybe I'm crazy and you can call me crazy guys on Twitter. You can call me crazy too. I wonder if Roderick and Tuiaki are a little worried that what is working is what's being schemed against. And so they want to throw out something that they think the other team's not ready for. And it's not working. I mean, it goes back to what we were talking about with going to the well until it doesn't work anymore. I, no one stopped it yet. Like Like Jason said, Ben Bywater and these guys are screaming in at Hank Bachmeyer, And yet it's almost like they're worried that there's a KO punch that never comes.
1: Yeah, I I think they just, they'd rather give up 10 yards consistently than give up 30, you know, on a big play over the top. Like, I think they'd rather play off rush for or let Boise state get some 10 yard completions rather than, you know, bringing the house and, Boise state completes one deep, you know, over the top of the defense for 30 40 yards. Like that's I think what BYU is trying to avoid. And again, I'm not going to pretend to be in these coaches meetings where they're discussing game plan, but based off the style of defense that they're playing, that seems to be kind of where their
0: heads are. At. I think that everybody that is listening will agree that like something needs to change our third down defense. Right? Yes. Yeah. I I mean think how many that third everybody defense? is screaming at everybody every third down we have <laughs> and they know we're going to give up a third down conversion like it's almost guaranteed at this
2: point I'm sure they have like an 80 conversion rate like that's what it feels like okay well, case, case in point like the game ceiling play was on a third down like Hank Hank Bachmeyer took a shot now mind you Khalil Shakir made one of the greatest catches I think I've ever seen I think it was mind.
0: incomplete still I and, and, and it wasn't reviewed
2: Why but, but, Challenge it. but like how how fitting is that, right? Like we get them to a third yeah. and six, we're down six and we should get the ball back. The offense has been gaining some momentum at that point, And we just, we just couldn't get off the field, but, but we didn't, it's not like we gave up a seven yard completion. It was like a 40 yard completion to their best, <laughs> to their best receiver. Which would
1: have been more frustrating. Like an eight like completion to their running back that you know in the, in the flat that then takes it eight yards for the first <laughs> down <laughs> or 40 yard completion to Shakir you know uh, if we
0: brought pressure and Bachmeyer under pressure made that throw I would have been like okay got I to would have be been a lot happier yes but the thing is rushing three and he still made that throw it, it's just as infuriating it doesn't matter
1: <laughs> yeah well so again we I previewed it on Twitter but talk me off the ledge I'm not I'm not out on Tuiyaki as a coach or as a person. I love Coach Tuiyaki, one of the best guys, high character individual. All the players love him. I'm not I please understand me, I am not advocating for anyone to be fired, <laughs> for anyone to lose their job, anything like that. I love Coach Tuiyaki and I love what you know he's been able to do for BYU football. But I might be out on his particular style of defense. The scheme. And the scheme that BYU seems to be running predominantly on a week to week basis. Cause here's my key, here's my issue with it. And I think this issue reared its ugly head on Saturday. And that is that the style of defense that BYU plays where it's a bend, but don't break, allow the offense to get into field goal range, right? Trevor, you talked about how four of their drives ended in field goals, other than the two where BYU turned it over in their own territory, essentially in their own red zone. Right. They all ended in field goals. But BYU has shown a tendency to, you know, we're going to give up a field goal at least pretty much every drive. And that's just kind of been their MO. Like we'll concede three points, but that's because we know our offense on the other side can go and get seven every drive. And for the most part, over the last season and a half, it's worked. But that doesn't work against really good teams and better than average
0: teams. For the most part. Right. Like it puts unless you and, win the turnover battle. Right. I think that was shown like the Utah and Arizona State game. We won the turnover battle. We got more. We got more possessions than they did. And it and it worked out for us. But I think that and again,
1: and this goes back to my overall point of why I'm, you know, the biggest issue with it is the fact that it puts all the pressure on your offense and eliminates any sort of margin of error. Right. If BYU comes and goes three and out and kicks the ball away or comes out and has a turnover, right. And those are two possessions gone where you're not going to end in a touchdown. Well, now you're playing catch up because your defense has given up two field goals and you're down six nothing. Right. Like there's the, the margin of error for the BYU offense is so small just because of the style of defense of BYU. If this bend don't break, we'll concede field goals all day. Well, now if your offense can't end every drive and a touchdown, you're losing the ball game, right? And we saw that against Coastal Carolina. We saw, we saw it against Boise State, right? And, you know, there was a couple of drives where BYU forced punts and, you know, got Boise State offense off the field. But for the majority of the part, like that was when Boise went into run the clock mode, right? We're up by a couple of possessions. It's a fourth quarter. We'll just kind of, we'll play a little more conservatively and BYU was able to get off the field. But when Boise State was going full throttle on offense and let's try to get some points here, they were able to do so. Granted, it was three and not seven for the most part, but still, if you're conceding points on every defensive drive, your offense better be scoring touchdowns on every offensive drive. Otherwise, it just
2: doesn't work. So I guess in this case, I mean, we've talked about it earlier, but like – I mean, I understand that there is a smaller margin of error, but it sounds like a defense that is putting a lot of trust in the offense and the offense did not come through. Um, Like, I mean, and the only reason I say that is because I look at somebody like Nick Saban, who's like one of the greatest college minds ever. And he's actually a big advocate of this like rush three drop eight. And I just have a hard time thinking that saying Nick Saban doesn't know what he's talking about now is it more effective because he has the best players in the country he has
1: Christian Barrymore's and Deshaun Hamm yeah probably
0: His, His isn't like rush three drop eight it's more like you have eight more like DB types on the field I could be wrong with that but I think that it's more like you have your nickel in rather than like a Mike linebacker sort of thing
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, the Alabama philosophy on defense is, let's just put 11 dudes out Be there, than, 11, 11 five-star athletes that will go to the NFL at linebacker safety and defensive line and cornerback, right? Like, Alabama's got the personnel to do that.
0: I don't know but if – You can continue your point, Trevor, because well, Saban has said that for sure.
2: I, I He's on yeah. record. And my and my point is, is I, I think, you know um, – and, and and again, I can't speak for the coaches, so maybe I should stop putting words in their mouth. But I, I would imagine that Tuiaki believes with this scheme and the way that you know college football has has moved to you know the RPO and this this quick hitting football and you know taking deep shots that he's he's seen where football is going, and he wants to be ahead of the curve. You know, I think he's listening to. Uh, Nick Saban, obviously, as I mentioned, and he really wants to apply that. Now, if we don't have the personnel for that, then we are going to run into problems. But I think in his mind, he genuinely thinks that we do. And, and when you throw on top of that, that you know, the offense is supposed to be doing their job and you know, ideally scoring every time they're on the field, like that's where you run into problems when you know, both sides of the ball aren't doing their job. And and at least in this game, it was the offense not doing their job. You want me to talk you off the ledge? Like, if you take away those two turnovers, which, you know, everyone's going to be like, oh, BYU with their hypothetical wins or whatever, like just whatever. Like, if you don't turn that ball over inside the 25, they had 12 points. Like, you're asking your offense to score two touchdowns. And, and you win the game 14 to 12. Like, I don't know. I think the margin of error is actually quite large for the offense. If you're holding a team to 12 points off of field goals, when you only have to march down the field twice to score.
1: But With let's say that Boise State still gets two field goals out of that drive, right? If they're following their trend of getting a field goal on every offensive drive, that's 18 points. To BYU 17.
2: Right, but we have the ball at the end of the game to actually go make a play and go win the game.
1: Yeah. I mean the I'm gonna play devil's advocate to my own point here now.
0: <laughs> here, and, I, well, I wanna point out one one thing that it, it story of goes with this, and I think that I that point that I think Boise State did really well that BYU did not deal with well was Boise went in the, a no huddle hurry up offense. BYU was stuck with the personnel on the field for Boise State's whole drive, basically. We weren't doing mass subs like we had before, and that's the reason why. And I think that Boise State made a really good point to do that because BYU got gassed because of that over the period of the game because the same personnel was on the field for however, like tons of time as they were driving. I think that that's one thing that Tuiaki hasn't done well is prepare our guys to be able to be on the field every single down for a whole drive. Yeah. Even just like As eight well. plays. Exactly. The,
1: offense is, the offense isn't going to go like more than five plays without subbing.
0: Like we're usually like three plays and mass subs. Like every first down was like hockey subs. Everybody's <laughs> coming in and out.
2: Hey, look, another hockey reference on the podcast. There you today. go.
1: I mean, to play devil, again, like I said, to play devil's advocate to my own point here is the fact that, look, this is college football and no one's not going to score in college football. Even the worst of teams are going to be able to score, you know, 20 plus points a majority. of Have you
0: seen people play Georgia's defense?
1: (laughs) Granted, (laughs) against Georgia and, you know, maybe Clemson, that might not be true. But, you know, 90 percent of college football, like no matter who you're playing, you're going to be able to score points. Right. And so Tuiaki, I'm again and like Trevor said, not putting words into anyone's mouth here or pretending like we're in these coaches' meetings and know what's <laughs> going on inside their heads. But I'm guessing BYU's philosophy and Tuyaki's philosophy going back to I'd rather give up ten yards, you know, here and there and a field goal than, you know, a big fifty yard touchdown. And eliminating the big plays and trying to contain rather than to stop. Because in college football, you know, unless you're George's defense, you're not going to be able to stop anyone for 60 minutes. Like, that's just how the yeah. game of college football is played. Obviously, these are college football players, so they're not NFL players, so they're not going to be able to consistently hold teams each and every drive and each and every play. Like, you're going to have blown coverages, you're going to have big runs, you're going to have missed tackles, what have you. So teams are going to be able to score, right? And so if Tuiaki and BYU's defensive philosophy is we want to contain rather than to stop And we believe that that gives us a better chance of winning. I understand that 100%. Right. Like that makes all the sense in the world to me because of the way that the sport of college football is played. Now, what I will say is that when you are facing good offenses and the contain will sometimes turn into, you know, I don't know what the opposite of contain is, but it breaks it open and offenses are scoring and things like that. And in situations like that is when I feel like this BYU defense needs to do better. At scheming up blitzes, changing it up, you know, let's call a let's call a corner blitz from D'Angelo Mandel off the edge, right? Like let's bring Chaz Ayu down into into the box yeah, and he's have actually him brought down quite a
0: bit, and he rushed. I feel like probably three or four times last game.
1: Yeah, like let's do that. Like let's scheme up some blitzes, right? We saw it against Utah. I know that it's possible. Because BYU was able to do it because I they you know probably looked at Utah as an opponent that they needed to scheme up blitzes for, right? Sure, you probably don't need to scheme up blitzes for South Florida or for Idaho State or even Utah State, but Boise State was probably a game that you needed to scheme up a few more blitzes, and they just didn't. And it's unfortunate they didn't. And obviously, hindsight's 2020. I'm sure if you asked Tuayaki if you could go back, would you do anything differently? You might have. Right. Like he, <laughs> he might. He Fair might, he might he
0: have. have said knowing Yaki
1: oh, he might have said that he would do something different. But I just feel like BYU, if they're gonna play the style of defense, we need to see some things mixed up here and there. Let's get fancy with it. Let's get crazy. Right.
2: We're going to have to against Baylor. I'm just saying it now. Like if you want we to get to will. the quarterback, you're going to have to do some wild stuff.
1: Yeah, especially the last because the last time BYU faced uh, Andrada defense, they didn't cross the 50-yard line. <laughs> so your margin of error on offense, again, <laughs> is going to be probably pretty slim.
0: No, I think that as fans as well, it's hard to watch a defense like BYU's, right, to see them bend and bend and bend. Um. And it's they just way don't more fun to see blitzes and them to take risks and like certain things on defense that we're not really showing. It's really risk management, right? Like we are the lowest, you know, lowest risk, lowest reward defense.
1: Yeah. You're not going to see, you know, I mean, what was, the, what was the last pick six? I guess like a cornerback pick six, right? There's obviously the yeah, Isaiah Kafusi one last season. Yeah. But. I mean, when was the last time you know a, a quarterback threw to the sideline and the BYU defensive back jumped the route and took it the other way?
2: I'm sure Never. we've had one since then, <laughs> but why is the last one I can remember Kai Nakua against Dude, that's Boise? That's even from
0: a safety, though. Yeah, that was a safety pick six, right? But I mean, like somebody's I mean, running a hitch and then a quarterback just yeah well, like reads um, it and just
1: Robinson did it against
2: Utah State in like 2006. Was it Robinson or Hanneman? Ha- ha- well, Hanneman I'm- had one in seventeen, I think.
1: Was Hanneman a corner? or Was he a safety?
2: Oh, he might have been a safety.
1: You're right. Like that's it was Gennaro Guilford <laughs> 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 was like the last one. <laughs> like, but that's you know. What Jason ask was the saying, BYU stats man. At BYU stats man, get at us when the last time a BYU cornerback had a pick six. But I mean, to your point, Jason, like that's just not what BYU's defense is going to be. It's not going to be the most exciting. You're not going to see these big sacks. You're not going to see, you know, BYU bring a a cornerback blitz. You're not going to see these cornerbacks jumping routes and trying to take it the other way. Like, that's just the reality of the style of defense because they want to contain rather than to stop. And, you know, I think this, you know, BYU fans are going to be angry every week, angry after wins for goodness sake. But, uh, you know, we just need to all accept it. But I do, you know, my one critique again, and you guys did talk me off the ledge. I will say, <laughs> well done to the two of you. Um, we'll back. I'm not out on the defense. I just would like to see. Some more things dialed up. And I think you know, every BYU like, fan, whether you're a fan of Tuyaki or not, shares that same sentiment.
0: I think the hardest part is we got a taste of it. Like it was it's like in our mouths. Like we we, <laughs> we know saw you do it in Arizona against State Utah. and Utah. It's like, oh, that tasted so good. And we're <laughs> so like, you can do it, why it against Utah? Can't why
1: can't You can do it against South Florida.
0: Right. In Boise. Like, in Boise. That's the hardest part. If it was just like normal every like you know, the past few years but we've seen the fruits of it and like how well it worked out. And now it's like,
2: Oh, it just leaves us craving more. You, you over promised and now you're under delivering.
1: <laughs> I just want D'Angelo Mandel pick six to the house this week. Speaking it yeah. into existence right now. That's your hot take. I'm mean, Speaking of hot takes, we did really bad. Very. I don't know. Jason, yours wasn't actually that off.
0: Do you have the, do no. we have the puka stats? He
1: you he said a hundred yards. Five yards.
0: You had what? I think he had uh, seventy-five yards receiving, no touchdown though.
1: I mean, like fifty of them came on one catch. Did we only throw it to him three times?
2: Yeah, four, four
1: catches, four receptions. Yeah, but he I averaged was,
2: like almost twenty yards a catch. I would so. like,
1: I'd like to see that number doubled by for the Baylor game. Eight oh,
0: catches.
1: Can,
2: can we gunner both? Can we
0: talk yeah. about why we're not throwing the deep ball to Puka more often? He has like he had the one he dropped in the end zone. Um. I can't remember if it was Arizona State. Yeah,
2: yeah,
0: as you. Um, but other than that, he has been money. Like, I think he, we need to find ways to get him the ball more often.
1: I agree. I mean, like I said, I think, and again, it goes back to our conversation at this point. I think it was 50 minutes ago. But uh, the fact that, you know, is that there's just so many weapons, you not want to keep going to the same one over and over. Right. Okay. Puka's got a big catch. Now let's try to get Neil one. Or now let's try to get, <laughs> get down Holker involved. And...
0: No feed. Whoever is ready to eat.
2: Especially uh, in, in one-on-one. Like there are not many corners that are going to effectively take on a six, two, 210 pound receiver that can fly.
1: Athletic freak.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like, Puka Nakua. like, like, look at, like, look at Samson. Like the thing that I love about that throw that Jern had is Jaron, there was a guy draped all over Samson, and Jaron was like, I don't care. Like no, Samson Jaren threw it to the DB. Yeah. Jaren, well, Jaron like yeah. put it like it was, <laughs> it was like the the carrot on the string for him, and then and then Samson just snatched it from him. but like that's the same thing. Is he's, six he's 6'4? He's 6'4 yeah. 190.
1: I mean, Get how tall's Gunner? Gunner six four, right?
2: Uh, I'm not sure he's six that tall,
1: three, six four. He's yeah. he's he's about there, he's somewhere in there. Oh.
2: Throw some jump balls, man.
1: Speaking of jump balls, is there anyone in the world who misses Zach Wilson more than Isaac Rex? Because that <laughs> dude not. was catching like two touchdowns a game. And I think he has one on the year. Yeah, I, the I also State. think
0: that defenses are scheming for Isaac. They All well, the more reason to go to Puka on the edge. They are making yep. sure that Isaac is covered in the red zone a hundred yeah. times out of a hundred times.
1: <laughs> well, Trevor's uh, hot take of two touchdowns for Isaac Rex. They tried to go for to him once in the red zone i think and i'm not sure he got a target again after that but
2: I mean, i'm telling you maybe i just don't do hot takes anymore <laughs> the, the my, just do my, a different one <laughs> other than isaac rex and my, that will be the game my guy either gets injured uh or doesn't get in the game at all or or is non-existent in the offense so maybe i need to
0: hey i just pick puka every time to go 100 yards at a touchdown <laughs> and he's done pretty good not quite got it there yet but
1: Eventually, if you keep picking it, you'll be right eventually. so right that's the that's the idea.
2: Maybe'll maybe I'll do a hot take for somebody from Baylor next episode, <laughs> and we'll just watch him just completely disappear from the face of the earth.
1: Um my pick of Oldroyd making a fifty plus yard field goal was not true. He did have a field goal, but it was thirty yards. Um and then I am trying to see punt wise what Rico was able to do, but I don't think he had one downed in the side of the five. No, so, I don't think you did. Oh, for three. Uh, Joe said, Algier and Cato would both have 80 yards rushing. And then they both fumbled.
2: They didn't have a hundred yards combined.
1: Who? I'm trying to look at these stats right now. So Algier had 73. Cato had, 20, had 23. So neither of them. I, I mean, we laughed when he said, I think Algier will have <laughs> through Algier in there too. We're like, well, that's a guarantee, and then he, he didn't either. So, yeah,
2: I, I will say, like, we spent this whole time talking about BYU. Obviously, it's the BYU hype train. I, I will give some credit to Boise, they, they came out with what seemed like an effective game plan for the run. Um, and I think that allowed Jaron to throw more, um, and it worked for the most part. So, Boise, my hat's off to you. Um, but that's the last nice thing I'm ever going to say about you. So, savor it.
1: Good job, Boise.
2: We're on to, we're on
1: to Baylor. You know, that's all that matters here. Uh, there was a sliver of good news afterwards, but everyone was down the dumps. Ice. Ice, baby. <laughs> like, Ice. for him to come in clutch, with the commitment like twenty minutes after the game ended. <laughs> Bro, you know be it, fan favorite already. He hasn't played it
2: down. He did, yeah. <laughs> He's coming to our defense already. Yes. Like no <laughs> do what you did this Trevor. <laughs> BYU BYU had that? just
1: lost. For the first time this season as a top ten team at home to a rival. And this guy's <laughs> like, you know what? I've got you guys. <laughs> I'm committed. Let's go.
2: Chit, chit, chit up, Buttercup. Yeah. yeah. Oh.
1: I mean, this, I, he's destined for spe- – he's going to set the NCAA record. For sacks. Yeah. <laughs> like we talk about scheming up blitz. Like he's – like already. Yeah. Chase, based off of his the timing of his commitment, I will tell you right now, he's the, he'll be the best uh, BYU defensive <laughs> lineman <laughs> that we'll ever have.
0: Oh, he's probably one of the highest recruited.
2: <laughs> That's That is also true. Number 17 ever. To Trevor's surprise. Did you go through that list? I was. I was very surprised. Um, And what did you find? Another fun fact. uh, Three of our top 25 recruits ever are from either this year or last year. And then Conover, if you throw him in, that's four in the top 25 in the last three years. So recruiting is improving. Who is Uh, it?
1: Ice, Logan Fano, and...
2: Cody Hagan. Cody Hagan. Mm -hmm. Yep. So Raider wasn't in that top. mm -hmm. No, he was – he might have been in, in the third – he might have been in, like, the 30s. Okay.
0: And then you well, had Connor Raider is, like, probably Bro. a four-star, but he uh, – I'm so high on Raider. He should be a four-star, but he committed to BYU, like, so long ago. <laughs> if, that, if he would have like, gone to USC, he would have been. He, he would have been a six-star. <laughs> Speaking of USC, did you see the uh, –
1: we've gone long here, but I just want to get your thoughts. The Corner Canyon Court. Quarterback, who got like fake the Ole Miss. He was on an official recruiting trip over the weekend to Ole Miss, and one of like the Ole Miss reporters like faked a quote from him and put it in a story.
0: Oh, I did see that. I didn't know that that was the corner, corner canyon. I didn't realize that's the corner canyon. Yeah, so that's the corner canyon quarterback. He faked a quote from him,
2: dude. (laughs) We'll keep keep it short. But how in this day and age, especially with how. Everything is at our fingertips. How in the world would you justify thinking you could get away with that? And and just assuming, like, did he just think that this kid's never used the internet in his life? Like, what what was going through? He's this not going to. He's not going to
0: Twitter search his own name.
2: Yeah, he's a high school kid, man. He's he finds himself he's every high day. School-
0: Like, he's a pushover, right? Like, I'm a grown adult. I'm, like, twice your age. Like, he's not going to do anything. That's probably what he's thinking. I mean, shout out to the Corner Canyon quarterback for, like, just, you know,
1: here he is, like, some 17-year-old kid. Does not care. He'll call out whoever he needs to call out on Twitter.
2: Let him know. Right?
1: Because, like, if I was 17 and I saw someone do that, I would be like, man, what the heck? But, like, I probably wouldn't take it to, like, the public sphere. Right? Like, I would just kind of be like, I'd probably tell my friends and be like, man, what the heck's going on? I also think he, the old Miss guy, deleted his apology tweet. Well. That one was hilarious. And but not, not gotta, only did he, he call him out once, but he called him out twice. <laughs> he called him out for the fake apology, too.
0: <laughs> I mean, that's
1: hilarious.
0: My kid's uh, destined
1: to be a star. I think he just got an Ohio State offer today.
0: Oh, Dang. Is he uh, committed to USC or? Yeah, uh, he's committed
1: right now, but, you know, coach, they just fired Craig Halton, so who knows? And they're a dumpster fire. So, uh, you know, you can be committed to USC, but once those Ohio State offers and SEC offers start rolling in,
2: we'll see (laughs) how committed you
1: are. But uh, Isaac Wilson, he's the real uh, Star Corner Corner Canyon quarterback. So let's Let's go. go.
2: Let's
1: go. Um, Any parting thoughts? We'll be back again. On Thursday night to record. So, a new episode Friday morning, previewing the Baylor game with Joe, hopefully that time. But, <laughs> uh, parting words of wisdom from either of you guys.
2: Head up, My is
0: strong. Like, everybody's jumping so, Like, this on season track, is though. not over. I think, like, th- here's my parting words. We see a lot that BYU has nothing to play for. That is absolutely false. If we win out, I think we still have a good shot at New Year's Six, especially if. Baylor ends up doing really well in the Big 12. Arizona State wins the Pac-12. Like, there's no way if we went out and actually – and look like a really good football team that people will not highly consider us for New Year's Six. And another point that was, that was made is this whole team is coming back next year. And think how scary that is. Like, the more reps we can get and the better we play this year – Means that like the more hype we'll have next year as we go on. So this train is fully loaded and on its way. So you better be on it. If you're not, that's fine. But we're gonna leave you behind. (laughs) I think it was
1: BYU's returning like 99% of their players, right? I think the only two like Uriah and
0: Samson are the only seniors on this team.
1: And Capisi. Gary Capisi is also listed as a senior. So So three. Three guys and two contributors. Two heavy contributors. BYU by 100 this week against Baylor. That's my prediction. Let's we don't even go. need to record on Thursday night. <laughs> BYU 100. Jason said it best. This hype train's is going to keep going. And if you're not on it anymore, you're getting left behind. Trevor, can you top that?
2: I, I can't. I, I will echo <laughs> those words. Um, and on top of that, there's no way this is worse than how we felt against Coastal. And I will say on top of that, very, very quickly, this loss feels a lot less devastating knowing we're heading to the Big Twelve. I mean, there is Take hope. That, Boise. There is hope on the horizon. There, but but the thing is, is there is great stuff right in front of us right now. Just like Jason said, New York Six is not off the table, barring we run the table. But on top of that, just enjoy the run. There's no way anyone thought we were supposed to be five and one in the first six games of the season. I'm sorry. I bet a lot of us thought we'd be maybe 500 at best, okay? We are 5-1 and one going into phase, 5-1 and one Baylor. We are fine. They're going to make adjustments. Go Cougs. Go Cougs.